This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. Match of the Day commentator Jonathan Pierce will be joining us a little bit later on. We'll be talking about his beloved Bristol City, what the World Cup might have in store in Saudi Arabia, as it looks like they've been awarded the 2034 edition of the tournament and of course his excellent podcast with his good friend Terry Alderton we'll talk about all of that with JP in a bit we'll also talk about the Ballon d'Or as Lionel Messi is yet again putting another gong on his mantelpiece but was Erling Haaland hard done by and we'll take a chore through some of the latest gossip doing the rounds on the back pages of the newspapers as well this is Football Social Daily an award winning Premier League show Marley Anderson's here how you doing Marley? Morning yes not bad not too bad Looking forward to speaking to Jonathan Pierce later. The soundtrack to our childhood with Robot Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, if he feels old talking to people like us who were. Uh, I mean, I was born as as Jonathan mentioned later. I think he started his career in sort of. You mentioned the nineteen ninety um, World Cup, and I was born in ninety one, and I'm like, Poof, like. Usually it's me being the old guy on the podcast, um, talking to you two youngins <laughs> and making the taking the mick out of being me being like three or four years older. But you know, then you get somebody whose career started, you know, before I was born. That's uh, puts it into context there. Yeah, legend of the commentary scene and a really nice guy as well. So looking forward to chatting with Jonathan a bit later on in the show. But first, let's get stuck into the big news because it was the Ballon d'Or ceremony in Paris. I mean, we've answered this question on the podcast before, haven't we, Marley? Does anyone really care about the Ballon d'Or anymore? Do you think it's lost a bit of its gloss? Uh, I don't think this. I think the split between um, FIFA and and the Ballon d'Or harmed it a little bit. The the prestige, because now we've got the Ballon d'Or, which which is always what it was, but we've also got FIFA's the best competition and stuff like that. And um, I do think that is has affected interest in it a little bit, but. Um, I think now it should be more. It should be more interesting, really, because now we're coming to the end of the Messi Ronaldo era. You know who picks up the pieces after that, and I think um, in theory it should be more um, more exciting every year of who's had the best year and who's the best player on the planet type of thing. Because there's more of an open debate, like is it Haaland, is it Mbappe? You know, could it be? Is it Joel Linton? You know, these, these, uh, these, 
I'm not rising to that. Debates. Uh, well, it's not Colby Bishop, is it, anytime soon? So, you know. Um, you leave War Colby <laughs> Just alone. for anyone listening, Colby Bishop plays for Portsmouth. Um, I'm surprised you know any of our be. players. That's the only one I know. I know him and I know um, Lane. Is it Paddy Lane? Paddy Lane, yeah. There you go. And that's because I used to work with his sister um, <laughs> about about seven or eight years ago. Um, so, yeah, I... It's it should in theory be more of a debate in the future and and therefore more interesting. However, I think with the way social media is and and things like that, I think you're never gonna have a clear winner of it again because everyone will just be if you give it Haaland, it'll be oh you know Mbappe was robbed and if you give it to Mbappe, it's like oh well he hasn't had as good a year as Bellingham, um, and I think it's gonna get a bit like that, a bit tetchy. So mm. even though it should be better, I think it's gonna kind of lose its it's shine a little bit in in future years i think yeah and of course with that social media debate it's always the ronaldo versus messi thing and messi has gone clear of ronaldo in terms of the amount of ballon d'ors that he's won but what did ronaldo finish something like 850th and it's like a ridiculous marker because he's not the 850th best football player in the world is he it's not a true list was that actually real i don't know i saw a social media post so i need to be careful yeah, I seen it as well, and I was like, "That looks like a Photoshop number eight. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Like I say, I, I wasn't. I'm not really interested in the ceremony because it's not that big a deal. But um, yeah, obviously Messi wins it, and that's number eight, and and that's uh, up for debate whether you want to give him that or not. I'll be interested to ask Jonathan Pierce later what he thinks about Messi winning the Ballon d'Or because he covers a lot of French football and World Cups as well. So he would have seen Messi probably at closer hand than most so I wonder what his take is on it but I guess because Messi won the World Cup that is why he's been given the Ballon d'Or as you said but Erling Haaland was the difference between Manchester City falling up short in a competition they've been desperate to win for years now and that's the Champions League and them actually getting over the line he broke goal scoring records he's already reached the 50 goal mark and he's played one and a quarter seasons in the Premier League the guy is an absolute animal and won three trophies last season, completely transformed Manchester City from a dominant side to an unstoppable side. So how close do you think he was to actually winning the award? I know that it's done on votes from peers and stuff like that. Yeah, I think he, um, I think it was close. Um, the whole debate now over whether you win the Ballon d'Or or not is trophies won um, and you know, things you've got to show for this amazing season. Haaland had the goals, he had the trophies. You would probably say that's hard to um hard to top. Um but Messi dragging Argentina to the World Cup, it's fairy tale. It's it's written in the stars and I think a lot of journalists being journalists, they fell in love with the story. That's what journalists do. That's why they would vote for him. You know <laughs> what I mean? They love a story, you know. That's the whole narrative is is it is perfect and it was perfect. Um, and he was unreal in the World Cup. He he, he didn't look like a 35-year-old or whatever he is. Um, sort of on his way out, he looked like, he looked pretty much prime. You know, he, remember when he ran the socks off Gvardiol in the um, in the quarter of the semi-final against uh, when Argentina played Croatia, and it was like mm. bloody hell, this this guy's still got it. He's still an absolute magician. Um, so I'm not too fussed about Messi getting it into I don't think it was a robbery or a travesty or whatever you want to call it um but yeah there, there's a clear case for Haaland I think there's a clear case for Rodri as well 
um, having, you know, being the, the glue in that Man City team, scoring the winner in the Champions League final, winning the treble, being a big part of it and that type of thing as well. Um, but is a, is a defensive mid ever going to win the Ballon d'Or? You, you're not really sure about that because it's sort of an unglamorous, overlooked position really in the in the terms of, of the game. I'm not even sure if a DM's ever won the Ballon d'Or. The last person that wasn't a forward player or a midfield player, I think, was Cannavaro. And was that 2006, which was a World Cup year as well? Yeah, so, I think so. maybe that's the, the last the closest, one that I can think of. The closest of. thing I can think of to a defensive mid is Matthias Sammer in, I think, 96. Proper random knowledge that I know, but Patrick Vieira might have been there, Roy Keane, etc. Those types of names. But yeah, no. Um, Messi wins it again. And I think as well, the story of him having more Ballon d'Ors than Ronaldo was another factor as well. They were tied on seven each. And, you know, the whole debate of who was better, Messi or Ronaldo, has, you know, been part of our lives for the last 15 years. You can't you can't mention Messi without saying, but is he better than Ronaldo? And you can't mention Ronaldo without saying, is he better than Messi? And now eight Ballon d'Ors versus seven is probably seen by the narrative as the thing that separates them. Well, Messi is the winner of the Ballon d'Or for 2023. Erling Haaland a close second, but Jude Bellingham, as Marley mentioned, is probably someone who's going to be in the running for the award in future years if he continues his great form. And he did win an award last night. I'm not yeah, sure whether the, it was the... the... Copper, Copper Award or something like that, they call it. Um, not really sure. It won't, be for, it won't be too long before he's challenging for the Ballon d'Or because I don't think there's a better player on the planet right now than him, so... Uh, yeah, I think Birmingham did quite well to retire the number 22 shirt in the end <laughs> after everyone ripped yeah, we all, it. We all mocked them at the time, yeah. And rightly we? so, but, you know, that the crazy fella in charge of Birmingham was was right after the... Uh, he, he'll be giving it the, uh, you all laughed at me type of type of thing. <laughs> we, maybe we should all retire the number 22 shirt. There's always something happening at Birmingham City, isn't there? Whether that's sacking a manager who's doing well and replacing him with Wayne Rooney or... You know, Tom Brady getting involved or retiring a number for Jude Bellingham when he's 16. Not a Premier League club at the moment. They are a championship club. And so too a Bristol City, which is the club that Jonathan Pierce supports. And next on Football Social Daily, we're going to hear from the Match of the Day commentator after this on Football Social Daily. This is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Joel is in Barcelona reliving the Manchester United glory days, seeing as they're so dreadful at the moment. So he's been replaced by a much better guest. Jonathan Pierce is here. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, good to be with you, boys. Now, you've got a podcast, JP&T, the football friendly in your respective careers, broadcasting and showbiz. You've obviously come across quite a lot of people, so you've had some... Pretty cool guests on the show, haven't you? Yeah, it's, it's like a it's like an irreverent chat, really, about uh, the game of football and just reminiscing and anec- anecdotes that come up from our guests. We did a series uh, leading up to Qatar where uh, we had a guest from every World Cup that I'd covered going back to 1990, and that was good fun. Um, people like Ray Houghton and Terry Butcher and, and Matt Holland, they all came on, and it was great reliving those moments uh, and my memories of those World Cups. And, and uh, yeah, so we've had Keith Allen on from the world of common, uh, comedy, and lots of lots of comments have come on and, you know, share their love of the game of football because that's what it's all about, really. I mean, a lot of nonsense goes on about football. I, I love the game, right? 
I've been doing this job 43 years and I was at Bristol City before I even started and and so really I've been involved in football since I was about 10 over 50 years now and uh, I, I absolutely still I love the game I love watching the game I don't love a lot of the trash that's around the game um, a lot of the hype a lot of the uh, ill-informed opinion and but when you when the whistle blows you just fall in love with it again even post VAR and some of these controversial things that we see, you still love it just as much. Yeah, it has its moments. So a moment last week at Bournemouth, where you know it, 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 we have a feed of the VAR in our ears. Not always, but most mostly we do. And uh, it, it was up, absolutely silent, and the picture in front of me was frozen, and there's clearly something wrong. And then, and then the VAR, David Coop, bless him, kept saying to the referee, "Look, I've got to get this right." Delayed it. I have to get this right. So fair play to him. He wanted to get it right. He didn't want to panic like what happened at, Les- at uh, Tottenham Liverpool. So he waited for that. He kept saying, I-, "I need to get this right." But then, strangely, the first line that came up was a green line, it means the goal stands. And then moments later, the red line came up, which means the goal uh, didn't stand. Now, I wasn't doing it live, but the person who was doing it live for the world feed must have had kittens when that happened because it's just confusing. <laughs> And the fans were singing, this is embarrassing. And, and, and I said in the commentary for Match of the Day, it was, you know, and they've, they've got to get this right. I do a lot of French football for TNT, and it, it seems to me, it might might not be right, but it seems to me that they do it much better than we do it. It's much faster. They don't review as much, and it's slicker. They've got to get it right, because otherwise they'll just riot. They'll start burning stuff. That's generally what happens in France. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to people say, oh, well, let's drop it, let's drop <laughs> it. You know, it's they're not going to drop it. There's too much money being invested in VAR globally, so they're not going to drop it. They've just got to get it right. And we've got to have referees who are prepared to referee on the football field. It'd be, I'd, just, I'd just love to see more referees go across the screen and say, no, I'm staying with my original decision. Give power back to the man on the field, the referee. That's what I say. Now, at the risk of making you feel slightly older than maybe you want to. Me and Marley are of a, an age where we remember hearing your voice through our childhood when you were commentating on Robot Wars. Mm-hmm. Now, technology came into Robot Wars. They had a ref bot. Yeah, they also had uh, the pit of doom that you could go into and uh, and <laughs> flame shooters and goodness knows what. So uh, maybe that would be good for football. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great fun, Robot Wars. We had a great, we had a really good time doing it. First time around, not so much second time around because the world of political correctness had taken over. And we, we, we weren't allowed to say perhaps what we could have said in the first run when I was doing it with Craig Charles, um, which we had, we had a great laugh. And the whole thing was... You know, is it serious? Is it in Mickey Tate? No one ever quite knew. The only two people knew were Craig and myself, and that's a secret. So, um, but it was great fun. It really was good fun. I think it was serious to the people that spent a lot of their pocket change on building up robots only to see them get destroyed. I know, funny, wasn't it? It was. They spent all that time, all those months and all their their hopes and dreams, and they got crushed within three seconds. You almost, funny. there's like a sickness to it of like, I know this guy spent thousands on his on you know getting part of a washing machine and you know selling and swapping everything and then some like mm-hmm. chainsaw just rips through it in like four seconds and kill a lot comes in and just undoes undoes everything for the past you know twelve months or whatever <laughs> in in about five seconds flat. The contrast. There was a team from Ireland. Uh, they had a robot called Diator, and it was it was it was it was covered in uh, fur fake fur, red and black spotted, right? Then they've gone into flames with f- fake fur. I mean, there's only going to be one outcome. And so that's the one side. They were great fun. They were brilliant lads. And then then, then the RAF entered a machine, I think called Typhoon, 
and that was built with a with some sort of jet engine you know again with blades on the outside it, there's only going to be one outcome to that it's got a jet engine inside it's going to be anything that moves and it did and at that stage i just think it, it got ahead of itself a little bit and um you know and, and it got very it got it at that stage it got a bit too serious uh and that, uh, that was after the, the end of the first run and i think we'd done eight or nine series and world championships and stuff like this so I just I wanted to move away from it and Craig couldn't do it anymore. And then they brought it back, but as I say, it wasn't quite the same. I do wonder how much those Irish lads spent on that fur. Because it was everywhere. They had jackets with it on. It was on the robot. I remember there was one it, one robot came in. It was, about, it was about eight inches high, you know. I think it had a little Superman on top of it or some little rubber Superman on top of it. But, you know, it's gone in against massive machines. I mean, you had to, you had to see them to believe them. People who went to see it, and we, we filmed it up at the old... Dambuster space, I think it was in Lincolnshire, and um, you have to see the size of some of the robots. The, the The very last series when they brought the huge house robot in, I've forgotten what its name now, but um, it was massive. You know, it's the size of a, it was the size of a small car, and um, you know these things just trundled around. And uh, there you are. It's uh, it. So many people still remember Robot Wars with great fondness. You know, my kids have grown up now. They're, in their, they're my boys are in their twenties, and they've still got, you know, somewhere in the attic all the Robot Wars toys. So, you know, they 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 loved it, and uh, it's it's great fondness. You know, people remember the TV programs they watched in their childhood with great fondness. Doesn't matter what it was. My generation was Stingray, Thunderbirds, and um, so you always remember that. You know, with great affection, and people do. You know, people. I, I'm, whenever I go to a match, lots of people come up and say, you know, I remember Robot Wars. Yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely loved it. And, you know, we're of a similar age to, to your sons by the sound of it. And, yeah, I think there's probably still a few Robot Wars toys knocking around my mum and dad's house. I'll have to dig them out at some point. What a lot of people don't know about commentators is they are normal human beings and they do support football teams as well. Your football team is Bristol City. Obviously, there's just been a change of manager and there's that wild statistic that Bristol is the biggest place to have never had a Premier League football club. Do you think that time will ever come where we'll see Bristol City as a Premier League side? Well, we, they were in the first division, um, the old first division in the 70s. We had four, maybe five years up there, I can't remember. And, um, you know, and at one stage, I was there at Highbury when they beat Arsenal 1-0 with a Paul Cheesley goal to go top of the on the opening day. And then, what, seven years, eight years later, I was there working in the radio this time, not not working for Bristol City, uh, when they went bottom of the Football League, 92nd. It was a disastrous collapse for the football club. And that's what uh, Bristol City 82 was formed because the Ashton Gate 8 saved the club by having their contracts torn up in 1982. They were eight minutes away from going out of business. And at the back of the mind of the people who run Bristol City, I think, is that is that calamity. You know, they don't want to... Uh, overstretch. Uh, they don't want to risk the club's future. Um, so it's steady, steady, steady. And the, you know, I think he was trying. Nigel was building patiently. A lot of fans are still disappointed that he's gone. But he was building patiently, but while allowed to build patiently, it still wasn't quick enough to show the progress that's needed to get into the Premier League. Because that's what that's what the aim is. I mean, if you've been to Ashton Gate recently, it's a Premier League stadium in the waiting. Um, it's got the facilities behind the scenes. The, the training ground's fantastic. They share it with Bristol Bears rugby because it's Bristol sport. Bristol City, Bristol Bears rugby, the basketball, the women's football. It's one big thing. Um, and, and the chairman and his family have done a fantastic job. Steve Lansdowne right at the top. Uh, in building this patiently, 
and the fans have been very patient, but it needs to happen, I think, in the next two or three years. And uh, maybe, and they obviously they didn't think Nigel was the right person to steer it that way. But uh, he inherited a dressing room, I think, full of a lot of dead wood. You know, they sold Alex Scott to Bournemouth. I did Bournemouth last week, and the number of ex-Bristol City players in the Bournemouth squad is noticeable. And Scott hasn't been replaced. He's, he's a player with potential. I'm not saying he's a Premier League superstar at the moment, but I think he's going to be a very good Premier League player. And uh, Bristol City need to replace that sort of talent and, and they haven't done so far. Obviously, the Championship has a lot of Tuesday nighters. I'd personally like to see more Tuesday night fixtures in the Premier League and maybe give ourselves a little bit more leeway later on in the campaign. Would you rather see more midweeks in the Premier League and less less weekends? I don't think it's practical because with, with all the European rounds, and there's going to be more European Champions League games next season. With the international breaks, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, I just don't think it's practical. They get a couple in um, during the season. That's just about it. You know, the players, the teams who aren't in Carabao or Champions League need this break that they'll have this particular week that we're recording. And um, I, I, I just can't see. I, I, I would hate. FA Cup replays to go, I'd hate it. And I'd hate the, the top flight teams to come out of Carabao, the League Cup. I'd, I'd loathe that because, the, again, oh, it's to say that, yeah, but what about the lower league clubs? What about the lower league clubs who dream of playing Manchester United in round three of the League Cup, you know, or, 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 or Liverpool in round three of the FA Cup and then get, you know, get a replay? Just this weekend, Horsham, the non-league club from Sussex, have had their game against Barnsley move to a Friday night and it's not being broadcast on TV in the UK. So they lose that whole magic of having a Saturday afternoon, getting the coach up together. Obviously, these are non-league lads, so some of them can't take the day off work to play in this massive game. They've earned that opportunity. So there are issues with it that need solving. Yeah, I'm commentating on Sheffield United against uh, Walsall for the world to go out to the world. You know, Sheffield United go global on Friday night. Um, it's it's on domestic television here. That's why it's been moved to a Friday, so they get that money. Sheffield United, Upwardly Mobile, they've done fantastic work over the last 10 years. But their players are part-timers. Um, you know, so, but that that is on television, so they've got the money coming in. But the thought that Sheffield, Sheffield United and Walsall go global on Friday night is 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 that's what it's that's what the FA Cup's about, you know. You know, look where 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 would Wrexham have got without without the publicity? Look where they are now. You know, they're a Hollywood club. And um Sheppy and I can only dream of that. But um look, if the FA Cup ever loses it's it's less than it hasn't for me, because the big boys don't come in or there's no replays or the big boys don't come in until the quarterfinals or something or later on like they do in, in other continental countries. That's That would be rotten. That would be rotten. The FA Cup has been working for 140 years. Let it carry on. Right, Messi's won a record Ballon d'Or this week. As someone who's watched a lot more Ligue 1 than I have over the last 12 months, is Messi worthy of winning the Ballon d'Or? That would be the big argument for all of the, the Haaland lovers out there and I know there's plenty of them. Well, he, he didn't. Uh, he won it for Argentina, didn't he? Really, and and, and he, he he had the same effect on Argentina in, in Qatar as, as uh, Maradona had in eight, Mexico '86. He, he dragged them to the World Cup success. It, I always, I actually think he was a better player at Paris Saint Germain than his critics allow. You know, his his record of scoring and assists was very good there. Still, um, there were political problems behind the scenes. The three of them, uh, did they get on? Didn't they get on? They certainly didn't defend together as a three in Paris Saint-Germain, though they won't go far in the Champions League, I don't think. Still, to me, seem a happier group this, this year. Um, 
he, he certainly wouldn't have won the panel door on club form, but um, even though I think he was better than people allow. No, he won it for that Argentina success. And this will be the last one. This will be the last of the end. You know, we, we've now reached the end of the Messi Ronaldo winning winning uh, these Ballon d'Ors, and now the next lot need to come through the Mbappes, the Haalands, and one or two other, and then they'll dominate it. They'll, you know, we're privileged at the moment to have Haaland and Mbappe at the same time. It's unbelievable. Speaking of World Cups, you're a man who's covered many a World Cup, both for the men and the women's side of the game. We've just basically unofficially heard today that Saudi Arabia will be gifted the 2032 World Cup. So just give us some thoughts on on that World Cup being awarded to Saudi as someone who's experienced many different cultures covering the competition over the years. Why did Australia pull out? Why did Australia pull out all of a sudden and all of a sudden Saudi Arabia are the only team going for it? What have Australia been promised in return? Saudi Arabia will get this. You know, the move of Ronaldo and the other players there to Saudi Arabian football has done its trick. And they, you know, obviously FIFA believe that the growth will, between now and that World Cup going there will be big enough to give a World Cup in Saudi some credibility. Um, I'm against the sports washing uh, through the by the Saudi Arabian government. I think there are still too many questions asked about life in Saudi Arabia, the limits uh, on freedom uh, of, of women and the gay community. Um, and yes, I understand we need to appreciate and understand their culture and their customs and their religion. But we li- now live in a wide world of more acceptance. And I don't think it's right. I don't think Qatar was right. I've been at every World Cup and every major championship now since 1980. I think I've done over 30, 33, 34 major championships, Olympics and whatnot, Confederations Cups. And Qatar was the worst I've ever been. It was the worst by a mile. It was artificial. Um, I want to know, I'd love to have done, I'd love to have seen all those supporters. Were they genuine supporters? Where they, where had they come from? I think the whole thing was tainted. I didn't like being there. Um it wasn't for me. If you were hugely wealthy, uh, you know, and you could stay in this ten star hotels, and yes, it's a it's a paradise for you. I I understand. That's not me. That's not my life, you know. And I didn't like it. And uh, fortunately, I'll have uh, I'll have I won't be around when the Saudi Arabia World Cup comes comes around. So, um, yeah, I'll have had the I'll have had, you know I was Italian eventer sitting commentating with Bobby Moore. Watching England get to the semi-final, staying with the England players. I was one of eight who were allowed to stay with England through the competition. It was just a remarkable experience. And now to see where it's gone, you know, what, what, how many teams are they going to have by twenty? Forty-eight, I think. Yeah, well, now we're going to increase that to sixty-four in a few years' time. What's the <laughs> point? What is you know? It's gone. It's gone. It's a circus. It's a money-making circus. It's not what it was. I don't think. Uh... JP and T, the football friendly, is as much of a circus, is it? Or maybe you can, maybe you can answer that question, not me. No, it's brilliant fun. Um, I mean, I would, I recommend if you like comedians, re- go back and look, uh, look at the one with Keith Allen on it because that was, that was uh, sort of anarchic. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, it's two men of a certain age talking about football and various things. And we were talking about garden, garden waste bins on Monday, <laughs> and people who don't pick up their go- their dog poo. As well as you know, as well as VAR, what a bizarre <laughs> myth. And um, so it, it is. And uh, we we've had some lovely guests on, and long long may it continue. Chris Powell is coming on next week on Monday, I believe. So uh, he's a lovely football man to speak to, and uh, you know we're lovely. These people come on and 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 appreciate it. And yeah. 
Well, we appreciate your time, JP. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, you can find that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and via the Sports Social Podcast Network. Go and check it out. JP and T, the football friendly. Nice one, Jonathan. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, boys. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform now and that way you'll never miss an episode of this show again. Brand new episodes right throughout the week focusing on Premier League football and someone in Jonathan Pierce we've just spoken to, Marley, who has certainly seen his fair share of Premier League football over the years. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's like, like like we said before, you know, he's been around a long time. Um, I love that his sort of approach to the game is so like, ah, you know, he's, he's very much like a guy who's seen a lot of football and he's just like, honest about it he doesn't doesn't pretend to to like the new game he, he clearly doesn't like the way it's going but loves the game too much to to just you know it's not like he's going to walk away from it and say hands up and I'm done with this you know he's got that sort of love of the game that you have when you're a ch- typically younger person um you know and Jonathan's what in his in his 60s he's seen the game change probably three or four times and he still has that love for it which is you know why you hear him every Saturday on match of the day and in midweek on the French French league and and what have you. So also, if you're American or Canadian, listen to it over there, and you don't know what Robot Wars is, you need to see it. Just go oh, on, surely they go know on. what Robot Wars is. Well, I, I don't know if it aired over there, but there is something on American TV. It gets repeated on ITV uh, four or something over here. It's called BattleBots. And it's yes. basically Robot Wars, but it's not quite as good because it's it just isn't. It's the nostalgia, probably. So it's probably me, you know, tapping into my nostalgia, saying it's not as good. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's the same basic type of thing, except when Robot Wars aired in the nineties, there was flamethrowers and there was flippers and all sorts of crazy designs, carnage which was, and destruction. It was hilarious. Every kid, I, I grew up as a kid, and I'm thinking. Dad, can we enter this? Like, what's our washing machine really do every <laughs> every day? Can we turn it? Can we stick a flipper on the front of it and enter a robot was? Um, but yeah, never never got to live that dream. But did watch watch a few uh, plastic fur covered, you know, motorized <laughs> room <laughs> roomers getting torn apart. It was it was hilarious. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, get it on YouTube, man. It's hilarious. Yeah, it was class. I loved Robot Wars and Jonathan's commentary is just iconic through it. And also with Robot Wars, you could hear him laughing in his commentary. If something yeah. funny happened, he wasn't going to call it straight. He was going to laugh. If it was funny, he was yeah, going to laugh. He was the perfect fit for it. I don't even know who 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 commentates on Robot Wars now, uh, even in the reboot. I think think it was Jonathan in the reboot, but then it, it, it died off. So if they bring it back in future, I don't know who could replace him because he's, he's the iconic voice of... of of Robot Wars and Chaos 2 and Hypnodisc and all these amazing panic attack, these amazing <laughs> robots. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I suppose we should probably get back to the football now, really. But <laughs> I'm feeling a Robot Wars daily spin-off podcast to this. Yeah, we're more interested in talking about Robot Wars than we are about the Carabao Cup games tonight. But I suppose we should probably touch on them. Jonathan's already said he's off to West Ham, he told us. So he'll be there tonight for the BBC Whereas at Old Trafford, there's another big game. And I feel like we've spoken about Manchester United every day on this podcast for the last two weeks because there's something happening every single day at that club. Tonight, it's a game against 
Newcastle United, your team. It's a shame Joel's not here so you can have a bit of a bicker and a bit of a back and forth. Is there any real retribution in the air from last season's Carabao final? Is it all water under the bridge? How do you feel as a Toon fan? Uh, For me, it's... it's I want revenge. It's not the same. It's what is it? The fourth round, and it's not exactly um, you know uh, a like for like game because we were at Wembley in February, and it was uh, it was a big big game for for silverware that we haven't won in a long time, obviously. So um, still though, any chance to to turn over Man United and extend their misery is is something that we want to do as Newcastle. Uh, you know ah. History with Man United goes back to the mid '90s and the Keegan and Ferguson rivalry, and they were all playing the mind games and all the rest of it. The iconic line of "I love it if we beat them" um, with Keegan is probably where it peaked. Um, and yeah, you know, when Fergie left, obviously there was a bit of a, a chasm. There was a yawning chasm between the sides in terms of uh, the the period in between. I tell you what, we've just had Halloween. That would have made an amazing Halloween costume. Kevin Keegan with the headphones. It would, would love it. With the yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I've seen someone do that. You know, they have the they have the box on the head like the TV, and they've got Keegan. I uh, you know got the earphones on and stuff as well. It's uh, where was he by the way when he did that interview? Was he in like a school classroom or something? I thought it was. Was it not just the way the press room was it? Uh, was it Leeds or someone? I thought it was. Be- I thought it was after the game. That's how I remember it. But I'm not entirely sure. Um, I just remember him going off. On- I think he was. I think it was after a game because he was wearing the club gear and stuff as if he'd just come off the pitch, and that would explain why he's lost his head because his emotions are still running. But I tell you I'm what, sure. I'm just. I've just googled it, and what's behind him? It's not a bookshelf, but they're posters of Euro '96. And it's Shearer with his arm up celebrating an England goal. And there's like a, a Euro 96 billboard behind him. So, yeah, it must have been some sort of press room. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, what, a, <laughs> what an interview. But, um, yeah, apparently there's there's 7,000 Newcastle fans going tonight to, to Old Trafford. So it should be, you know, a good atmosphere and stuff like that. Um, I better watch out on my way back from the studio today then. Yep, yeah, there'll be plenty plenty <laughs> in town. Uh, I got offered a ticket before, but it's in the Man United end. And I, I don't like doing that, really, in... In uh, in all honesty, um, in with the rest of the tourists in the Stratford end, um, so no, I'll uh, I'll I'll be watching it on TV and hoping we can uh, we can turn Man United over and and go and win the competition really because that's we've put out if we win tonight we've put out Man United and Man City and then I know Liverpool and Arsenal are left in the tournament but you know if you're beating them sort of sides um, who can't you beat but. With the uh, the rotation and stuff we might have to do with the injuries we've got at the minute, it's uh, it's not a straightforward one. Yeah, in terms of the teams left in, you're right. If you dump out Manchester United, then there are a handful of Premier League teams left. Liverpool and Arsenal probably the strongest too. Chelsea are still in. But after that, Everton, Burnley, Ipswich are obviously flying high at the top of the Championship, but you'd fancy your chances to beat them. Fulham, Middlesbrough have just got through. So there are teams that you'd like to think that you can get the better of if you do win tonight and that's kind of how it opens up in this competition all of a sudden you reach the quarterfinals semi-finals and then you look at the spread of teams that are still left in and you think we've got a chance here yeah that's um you know that's the the carabao cup it's sort of niche basically you don't have to win that many games to get really far in it you know you win two games you're in the quarterfinals you win you win three and you're starting to very much think about Wembley um and the the silverware on offer type of thing so 
yeah, with a bit of luck, we'll get through tonight and Liverpool will draw Arsenal in the next round. Um, and then, you know, Middlesbrough will draw Ipswich in the, in the, and then we'll have them. <laughs> well, you know, at the start of the season when we did our predictions and I said that Ange Postacoglu will be the surprise package with Spurs and Spurs will win a trophy this season. I think Ange Postacoglu will do it. And then first week of the season, they got knocked out of the Carabao first cup game. Only game Fulham. they've lost. It's the only game they've lost. I know, I couldn't believe it. Will they yeah. be kicking themselves a little bit now in all they seriousness? Sh- they when be. they look at the teams that are left in and they look at Fulham's draw, who is Ipswich, who again, as I said, are playing really well at the moment, flying in the championship. But Spurs, with the pathway that Fulham have had since they knocked them out and with the way that the competition could open up, they should really be kicking themselves that they didn't do better in that game. Yeah, they should be because, um, you know, Spurs play once a week. They've got no Europe this this year. They're in a perfect position to, to go and win it. Newcastle got to the final last year because we were playing once a week, basically. Uh, and obviously we were we were in a great uh, run all season. Um, Spurs could have had that this season. And I think we even said before, you know, Spurs could win this this tournament. You, you said they would uh, or could. And yeah. They'll be, they will be kicking themselves, but ultimately, if they finish in the Champions League and you know they're in a title race for however long they're in the title race for, they won't really mind until they really think about it. They're still and in the FA Cup till January, so they <laughs> can't be embarrassed until at least another month or two. So I'll yep. wait until that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, they get drawn against Marine again or someone like that. <laughs> I can look into someone's back garden. Oh, love that game. What a game that was. Also. I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before, but it, it just reminds me of that game of uh, the funniest non-league shout I've ever heard on a live broadcast. Of as soon, I think Spurs kicked <laughs> off. Spurs kicked off, and I think it was um, Carlos Vinicius. I think took the took the kick off, and as soon as he kicked the ball, a scouse voice in the crowd went into these marine. These are. Sh- and i was like that's just perfect because it was broadcast live in the bbc you even heard him (laughs) and i was like yeah that's that's a quality shout to be fair yeah fa cup first round weekend this weekend in the uk and obviously premier league teams and championship teams don't enter until the third round stage so it's just leagues one and two and the non-league teams in round one of the competition this weekend but we're not going to talk about that we're going to talk about some of the latest transfer rumours because we are approaching January and this is the time of year when the rumour mill starts to fire up again and things start to ramp up and let's start with this big one from the evening standard because in the wake of Sandro Tonali being banned for 10 months for his involvement in betting in his native Italy the Newcastle United player will be out of action for a long time he becomes the second Premier League player this year to be banned for betting infringements the other was Ivan Tony, who of course in January will be coming to the end of his long ban. And according to the Evening Standard, they're reporting that Brentford are willing to sell the England striker, but for £80 million when the January window opens. So £80 million, I know that he's valuable to Brentford, but that still seems a bit steep to me. It does, but if there's desperate teams out there for strikers, which there are, um, you know, they may just be tempted into it. How old is he now? About 27, is he? Um, still got years in him, maybe not that many years in terms of you would probably, you know, you, you talk about 80 million, 80 million gets you Hoyland who's 21 or whatever, you know, and you're saying, well, you can get 12 years out of him. 
But Tony comes with a with a track record, I suppose, um, of being a very, very good goal scorer at Premier League level. Scores all types of goals. Um, you know, isn't a a sort of one trick pony type thing. He can he can dribble, he can hold it up. Um, you know, he can run away from defenders. He can pass. He can link play really well. I look at Spurs and think if if they're really pushing for the title, would they be tempted into into signing Ivan Tony in January or you know, Man United are always prone to panicking. They might sign, they might go for him as well. Chelsea might fancy a fancy a little dabble on him. Um, probably the wrong word to use, dabble, with his gambling uh, problem. But there you go. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's uh, fair enough if Brentford can get that price for him. They've probably looked at the market and gone, well, it's gone mental now anyway. So eighty will do it. We might sell him for sixty if we have to. But if you can get eighty, then you know, you're laughing. Well, you mentioned Manchester United might be prone to panic. Well, reports today in several newspapers are suggesting that Andre Onana has agreed to play for Cameroon for the Africa Cup of Nations, which is coming up in January, and could miss as many as seven domestic games. Now, it was uncertain whether he would decide to go to the tournament when he first signed for Manchester United. And that's just another problem to deal with, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's a strange one. I, I, I've never understood Ten Hag's um, approach when it comes to goalkeepers. When they signed Martin Dubravka on loan from Newcastle for for six months um, at the start of last season, they played him in two games, um, and it was it was weird. One one was a Carabao game. I think the other, I don't know what the other one was. I think it might have been another Carabao game. It was the only only games he played in. Um, then this year they signed Onana and they signed Bayendir as his backup. But does Bayendir? When does Bayendir play? Like when? When will he play? In theory, um, I I don't understand. I don't know the. Yeah, because you'd have to give him some game time. You just want want to. You wouldn't want to throw him into a busy Premier League schedule just cold. No, which is why I can see them signing another goalkeeper in January. They've been linked with De Gea on on a on a short term deal, which is just embarrassing, really. Diogo because... Costa as well, the Portuguese goalkeeper, apparently was watched by Manchester United scouts at the weekend, according to one news report. What well, still? So they they've been scouting him for a year and chose Onana ahead of him, and now now they're still still scouting him. Just nothing makes sense at that club at the minute. Nothing at all. How? What? What are you scouting? Diogo Costa for if you've just spent 50 million on Onana surely the only reason you scout him is if you want to sign him but what are you going to do with Onana then at 50 million and you know you're backing him through through everything so far so you're going to throw that 50 million away along alongside the 85 on Sancho that isn't getting a getting a chance and you know the 57 you spent on Martial 10 years ago whatever it was you know there's loads of just problems and, and deadwood and, and issues at Man United at the minute which is um, just every step forward they take it's two, te- two steps backwards really Manchester United with two quite important games, a Manchester derby on Sunday and a game against Newcastle tonight and he's just disappeared I think we're going to need some words with him when he comes back I thought he was meant to be back on Monday um, but you know, the, the delights of Barcelona are proving too uh, too much for him. <laughs> the temptations. All right, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to focus a little bit more on Chelsea and their start to the season. 
So why not hit subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform and that way you won't miss it. You'll be notified as soon as a new episode is ready. And we'll also bring you some content on Friday as well this week. So make sure you do hit subscribe or follow and that way you'll stay up to date. But from Marley and I, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much for listening and thanks very much to Jonathan Pierce as well for giving up some of his time. But from us, that's all. We'll catch you next time. Football Social Daily is a Voice Works Sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.